I believe it was a Wednesday night. Youth group had just ended and a bunch of us high schoolers got in a car and we kind of were like, hey, we know that up the road they've started construction, like, let's go. We got out of the car, we started to just wander the grounds. There was just this excitement of what could be. And it was so vivid, um, the two main staircases. Just vividly remember, we actually climbed the stairs and I stood at the top and I had this moment thinking, this is the Northwest campus of Trader's Point. There was significance in the moment standing at the top of the stairs because right around that time that we were building uh, the new building, I was discovering who Jesus is. And my eyes were being opened and I was understanding the gospel for the first time. I knew in that moment that what I was learning mattered. I knew that this was eternal. I knew that this was something that I could put my trust in. Everything changed, like my perspective changed. The light bulb clicked that the church matters. And I was going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I grew up with an understanding of God, but it wasn't until friends from school invited me to come to youth group at Terrace Point Christian Church uh, that I really started thinking, like, there's something different here. I was intrigued by the truth that I was learning. I just came week after week, and it was there that I found this community. Um, I found a small group of girls from other high schools, but we all connected because we were all seeking to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And I was invested in from older, wiser women that were just committed to teaching me, discipling me. We all went on a spring break trip. I was a sophomore in high school and on the way, like the bus ride down to Panama City, there was this feeling in my spirit that said, I'm supposed to be baptized because this, this is real. Like there was a real change within me that said, I want my friends that don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. That really began the journey of a committed walk with Jesus. Things started to change, my perspective changed. The way that I spent my time became different. I started thinking about how I could serve in the church. And I knew that the people around me um, that didn't know Jesus, I so desperately wanted them to know Jesus. I remember thinking, I don't have much. I'm a high schooler. How can I contribute to this? I knew that I wanted my resources and my money to go towards something that was going to last longer than just a temporary satisfaction. My faith grew as I was contributing and seeing at the same time the buildings being built. 
I was contributing to the future generations of the church. As a high schooler, I was excited that one day there would be high schoolers in this building down the road that would come to know Jesus. And I was able to think that this money, while it's not much, I am completely trusting that the Lord is going to use this um, in ways to further the kingdom. Today, I serve in Traders Point Youth as a small group leader for freshman girls. The reason I serve is because I look at them and I see the future of the church. Here we are in the middle of Awaken and we are seeing what God is doing in our own lives, but also in this city. And to know that these high schoolers get to be a part of that future, I recognize that right now is the time to be pouring into this generation because they are the future of our church. I think about the moment that I had at the top of the stairs where I saw the vision in front of us and the future of the church. And I think as I serve in Traders Point Youth, I wonder what the moment is gonna be for them when they are awakened and they recognize the impact that they have. Hey, can we give it up for Betsy? Just appreciate her sharing her story. Um, you know, that honestly like means a lot to me watching that because Betsy has and continues to invest into my own daughters. And so to be able to see that and hear her story uh, is just so encouraging. And there's so many other people just like her. And uh, I wanna welcome you um, here today or welcome you back. And hopefully you brought your Awaken book with you. If you weren't here last week, hopefully you got one on your way in. If you don't have one, you can stop and get one at the Awaken Hub on your way out. For those of you uh, watching online from around the world, maybe we've got a bunch of fall breakers uh, joining us. Uh, you can access this electronically at vision.tpcc. And if you haven't really had a chance to flip through it, you can do so later today. Inside is just gonna uh, have a more uh, of a description around the vision initiatives of Awaken, what we're seeking to accomplish in the next two to five years, uh, some group content material, place to take notes. In fact, go ahead and turn to page 56 because that's where we're gonna be today. And then inside of this book, you'll find this commitment card. And last week, if you were here, I just encourage you to put this in a prominent place where you can just see it every day, do a little bit of business with God around it. Um, and really how I want us to think about this is using it as a devotional tool to ask ourselves, like, God, what does awakened generosity look like for me in this season? And then uh, we'll come together here in a few weeks uh, for something called Commitment Sunday that'll really just be the result of us praying big, bold, courageous prayers together as an awakened church. You know, uh, several years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a faint light on downstairs and I knew that I'd shut all the lights off before I went to bed, so I didn't know what was going on. So I decided to get up to check it out, went downstairs, and the light to our pantry was on. And then between uh, the pantry and the garage is like the utility room. 
and the door to the garage was wide open. Now the garage door was shut, but the door from the house to the garage was open and the light in the garage was out. And so I was really alarmed by this because I was like, who in the world left the door open? Because I knew for sure I'd shut and locked it before I went to bed. So I go into the garage, flip on the light and my son Connor is, he was five, six years old at the time. He's 21 now, uh, time goes by fast. And he was sitting on the dirty garage floor in a dark garage. He had gotten into one of the storage bins that we kept all of our um, beach toys in. And so he had all the buckets and the shovels that you'd make sandcastles. He had those out playing with them on the dirty garage floor. And it freaked me out because he's, he's in the pitch black. Like he's in the dark in the middle of the night. And so I was like, Connor, his eyes are open, but he's unresponsive, doesn't look at me. Finally, he like stands up, walks right past me, goes upstairs, gets in bed, falls asleep. He was sleepwalking. And the next morning uh, when I asked him about it, he had no memory of what had happened. And last week, if you missed it, this is kind of the big idea where we walk through Ephesians chapter five, where Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and they were spiritually sleepwalking. They sort of fallen into this slumber. And the way I've posed it last week is really this question of, am I currently coasting? And I mean, I've first heard from a number of you that said, man, that question just kind of hit me right between the eyes. Because I feel like for the past several years, that describes me, that I've been coasting, that I've been spiritually sleepwalking. And there's a number of things that can kind of lead us to that state. Uh, one could be a massive global crisis, like the one that we went through back in 2020, 2021. And we just haven't woken up from that. Or maybe it's a personal crisis that we've gone through, whether it was like unemployment or maybe a broken relationship or a health thing. And when we get burned out or when we just get overloaded with anxiety and stress, we can end up numbing out. And that can sort of lead us to kind of shrinking back, playing it safe. And we're just spiritually sort of sleepwalking through life. And the real tragedy of this is what Jesus said that he intends for our lives in John chapter 10. Now, if you've ever wondered, like, what does God want for my life? Then you look to the words in the person of Jesus. And the reason why is because Jesus is God in the flesh. So whatever Jesus says is what God intends for you. So in John chapter 10, Jesus said this. He said, I have come that you may have life. And then he uses this word, an abundant kind of life. Now that word abundant is not necessarily a word that uh, I use on an everyday basis. Uh, and that's kind of unfortunate because it's such a great word. It's this idea of abundance, or you might even say it this way, that God desires to wring every ounce of potential out of us in our 80 to 90 plus years of life that we might have here. It's this idea that God doesn't want us to waste a moment. Time is too precious. And that God has given us these opportunities, these moments in front of us. And the question is, is am I awakened to the power and the presence of God in my life to really use my life to the best of my ability to further his kingdom here on earth? Now, in that same passage, Jesus says we have an enemy and his intentions are the exact opposite. His intentions are to, uh, and I quote, steal from us, kill us and destroy us. So the enemy is perfectly content with sleepy Christians. And if the spirit of God hasn't come alive within us 
and we haven't gotten Satan's attention and we are not a threat to Satan, he's totally fine with that. He'll just let you sleep. So the question last week is, am I coasting? Am I awake? Here's where we want to go um, this week. So if you got your notes, open it to page 56. If you got a Bible, go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 11. Here, here's the, um, where, where I want to go today. It's um, how do we become awakened to the moment in front of us? Some of you had that realization last week. I'm coasting. I'm spiritually sleeping. Okay, I got it. Now, how do I wake up? How do I become awakened to the power and presence of God in my life? So if you're taking notes and the first, uh, if you are, the first thing to write down is simply this. Being awakened is a call to live by faith. That's how you wake up, is you begin to walk by faith. And the best chapter to go to, to really understand what faith is, and then examples for us to know what that looks like in real life is Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you may know that Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the faith hall of fame. And it's this idea that ordinary men and women who have come before us, uh, they began to walk by faith. Actually, you'll see if you read through the chapter, those two words are the most common words in the whole chapter. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And what happened is, is they invite God into their lives and they begin to do extraordinary things because they are tapping into the power and presence of God in their life. So if we're going to walk by faith, we got to ask ourselves, well, what exactly is faith? And verse 1 of chapter 11 gives us a really, really good definition. Here's what it says. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And I really want you to circle, highlight, double underline those two words, show and evidence. Because I find it fascinating that in the description of faith, those two words are given. Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes I've just kind of believed that faith is something that you do blindly. That faith is like a, you know, cross my fingers, hope really bad that God comes through. And if he comes through, I'll take a deep sigh of relief. But actually the author of Hebrews defines faith as something that God wants to show us. It's something that God, God wants to give us evidence, but it's just, that here's how faith works. God wants you to take a step that shows that you trust him first and then he'll provide the evidence for what we hope for. Kind of reminds me of that uh, great scene from uh, one of the very first Indiana Jones movies. Maybe you remember it where Indiana Jones is like on the edge of this like canyon and he's got a cross, but there's no bridge. And whatever it is that he's reading, whatever clues or whatever, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, it says that he's, he's got to take a step. And he's just like, well, this doesn't make any sense, but I guess I'll go ahead and do it. And so he takes a step. And you remember the very next scene, he steps out. And actually there was a bridge there all along. It was just an obstacle illusion. He couldn't see it until he took a step. And then he had the evidence. Then he had the proof. This is a pretty good description of faith which is why in chapter 11, you'll see these men and women like Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Joseph and Moses. It says over and over again, by faith, by faith they did it. By faith they took a step. In other words, um, they didn't wait for God to come through and then take a step. That's not faith. They, they took a step and trusted that God would come through. And did you know that it's actually impossible to please God without faith. And some of you are like pumping the brakes right now going, whoa, 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 Pastor Aaron, I think you're overstating it just a little bit. Where in the world did you get that idea? I got that idea from verse six. It is impossible to please God without faith. Right? That's just like, I'm just reading the Bible to you. Now, now what this means is this is not 
certainly, please don't hear this as a salvation thing. Like, like this idea of like, God is displeased with you until you have faith. Like you just can't earn his approval. That's, that's not what that is. This is this idea. It is impossible to please God without faith. What this means is it is impossible to tap into the power and presence of God to awaken you to what it is that he wants you to do without taking a step of faith. That in order to access the power and presence of God, it is impossible to do that without you first stepping into faith. If you want to be awakened to this abundant life that Jesus offers, then you've got to take a step of faith so that God can begin to do something in and through you. See, um, before God does something in you, or before God does something through you, rather, he wants to do something in you. Now, remember what I said last week, the primary goal of Awaken is that God would do a transformational work in you. And I mean that, like a distant second is all the through us stuff. See, what it means for us, like at the end of the day, you know, somebody asked me, um, you know, how, how will we know if Awaken was like, you know, uh, we accomplish what it is we want to accomplish with Awaken. It's not the numbers. It's not the commitments. It's 100% of our people who call Traders Point home, whether you do that here locally in Indianapolis or you're part of our community online, that 100% of us would be engaged. What does that look like? That 100% of us would ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to take a step of faith? What does it mean for me to walk by faith? Because God wants to do something in you. And man, if God can do something in 100% of us that call Traders Point Home to awaken us, all the other stuff takes care of itself. See, I don't know about you guys, but I have a tendency to want to fast forward through the in me part. And I want to get right to the, God, what will you do through me? Because I'm kind of like a forward thinking, um, you know, I'm an achiever. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like a productivity is king kind of a guy. And uh, I married somebody who constantly is lovingly reminding me to be fully present in the moment. Okay, Aaron, don't bypass this. God wants to do something in you first. That's the most important thing. So what this practically looks like is I want to run the mini marathon in sub two hours. I just don't always want to train for it. Any of you relate to me, right? I, I, I want to take my family on that incredible vacation that the kids never forget. I just don't want to plan it or pay for it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I want to have deep and meaningful friendships. Uh, it's just that sometimes I forget to invest in those friendships. And I don't want to, us to bypass this too, too quickly, is that I want all of us to be fully awakened to what it is that God wants to do in us first. And then all the through us stuff is just fruit. That's just the byproduct of what God is going to do. And this is what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to hone in on two individuals. There's a bunch of people that we could look at, but I want to look at a guy named Abraham and a guy named Abel. All right. So, so Abraham, uh, most of his story or the most real estate in chapter 11 is given to the story of Abraham. And if you know anything at all about him, you might think that his story begins in Genesis chapter 12, but it actually begins in chapter 11. And in chapter 11 of Genesis, the world was at the darkest it had ever been, spiritually speaking. And uh, all this kind of came to a head when humanity at the time uh, decided to invest in a building project called the Tower of Babel. And they were trying to build their way up to God so they could dethrone God and be their own God. That's called humanism. And it's the number one religion today. And so this is this idea of like, we'll be our own God. 
And there is this one family still faithful to God during that time, the descendants of Shem. But it ends in chapter 11 with them living in a place of idolatry and it was just, they were just completely consumed by it. And the final person in the line of the descendants of Shem is a guy named Terah who has one son, Abram, before his name is changed to Abraham. And Abraham grows up, he and his wife, Sarah, have like these fertility issues. Interestingly enough, his dad, Terah's name literally means moon, which is a Hebrew metaphor for the end. So by the time we come to Genesis chapter 11, at the end of it, it's as if the last flickering light of God's hope is about to be absolutely consumed by the darkness in the world. And then in the midst of that great darkness, God wants to awaken this childless man, Abraham, and he gives him a promise that he and his wife, Sarah, they've been unable to have kids. You're gonna have a son and your line is gonna continue. And through your family line, I'm gonna bring a light and a blessing to the whole earth. But it doesn't seem as if God was gonna fulfill this promise because he and his wife, Sarah, they're not spring chickens anymore. And so they're just waiting for God to, to bless them in this. And then they finally do. They, have, they give birth to a little boy by the name of Isaac. And it seems like God is going to fulfill his promise which is why what God asked Abraham to do next, and many of you know the story, seems so unreasonable, is that God asked Abraham if he would be willing to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, back to him. Now, this story really only makes sense when you begin to realize that all the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. That God, is, was, God has never asked us to do what he is unwilling to do himself. And that God would sacrifice the life of his only son so that we could be redeemed and restored back to him. This is all a foreshadowing. And so God asked Abraham to do this and Abraham is perplexed over what it is that he is going to do. And, uh, and if you know the story, you know that uh, I love Abraham's faith. Uh, there's this little reference in verse 19 that says, as Abraham is wrestling with this decision, he says to himself, well, I guess if I sacrifice Isaac back to God, God has the power to bring him back to life. Man, I, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. And that's the kind of faith that he demonstrated. And God honored him by interceding and preventing him from sacrificing the life of his son. But in order to enact the power and the intervention of God, Abraham had to walk by faith. So here's the question that I just want to ask you today. You might jot this down in your notes. What's your Isaac? What's the one thing like right now in your life that if God were to ask you, if you would be willing to release that back to him, it scares you, it frightens you a bit. In fact, you don't even want to think about it too long because you're afraid that God will ask you. It's like, well, if I don't think about it, maybe God won't ask me. You know, it's like, and so maybe for some of us, we're like, well, I'm fine to kind of give God this and this because that's not going to cut too deep. That doesn't really feel too sacrificial. But this thing over here, this is where I'm finding my identity. And this is where I'm finding my security. And if God asked me to give up that, I don't know what I would do. Listen, I nor anyone else can tell you what your Isaac is. What I can do is be your pastor and pastorally ask you to consider talking to God about that. And I just want you to do that in the course of the next coming days and weeks. It's like, you know, God, what, what is my Isaac? And am I willing to let go of that, trusting that whatever it is that I'm willing to sacrifice and let go of for you, that you'll return it? that you're a good God. You're a God who fulfills your promises. And inside, on the, on the commitment card, there is a line that I've just kind of, kind of begun to call it the Isaac line. 
And it's this idea that says, these are gifts from my stored resources. And I'm already beginning to hear stories from people as I'm talking to them about how they're contemplating, you know, what it looks like to maybe give up a house or a car or store dollars or possessions to invest in the line over the dot for the, for the kingdom of God. Saturday, November 4th is a date I want you to circle on your calendar because we're just calling that like advanced commitment night. And this is where we're all just going to come together. Leaders go first and we're just going to come together in worship and we're going to say, God, we just want to be open handed with you. We want to walk by faith, inviting your power and presence into our lives to do what only you can do. And that, if that makes us a little bit fearful or uncomfortable, that's good because that just shows us where we need to, we, we need to be. And last week, if you were here, I told you the story about how God uh, gave us the downtown campus. Remember that story if you were here? And I told you about how there was this building and we wanted to purchase it for the downtown campus, but it was too much money, so we passed. But then for two years, every time I would drive by, I would just pray and say, God, would you please give us that building? And one day a family in our church contacted me and me and the gentleman, we went down to the building and we looked through it. The real estate agent said, hey, there's another group that's put a letter of intent on this building. If you're gonna make an offer, you better do it quick and it better be a solid offer if they're gonna entertain it. And uh, he looked at me, I'm just recapping the story for you. He looked at me and he said, hey, go ahead and offer $2.825 million in cash. If you get into a bidding war, I authorize you to go up to 3.3 million. He patted me on the shoulder, said, tell me how it goes. Hopped in his portion, drove off. Remember that story? And I kind of shared that with you. And then I, at the very end, I said, you know, I kind of, every time I share this publicly, I wrestle with this because that's such a huge astronomical number that most of us can't relate. And most of us will let ourselves off the hook and go, well, you know, clearly he had so much money. That was probably not a very big, he probably did that all the time. That probably wasn't very much faith for him at all. And uh, I got a text from him this last week. And I got, I got his permission to share this text message with all of you. Now, he shared something with me in this text that I didn't know last weekend. Brand new information to me. Here, here's his text that he sent to me. He said, I still remember the feeling I had when I said to you in the parking lot, let's pay cash. I, I remember the feeling I had too. All right, so <laughs> ironically, all right. Here, here's what he said, totally unexpected to me. I did not know this. He said, my stomach felt uneasy and maybe a bit scared. Guys, I had no idea. He seemed so confident. He was like cool as a cucumber when he said it to me. Probably part of the reason why he's a pretty good businessman. I don't know. And then he said this, I knew God was asking me to do this. In other words, this was his Isaac. I knew God was asking me to do this, but at that time, I had never done anything like that or had given an amount that big. So, so much for the, you know, he probably did this all the time kind of a thing. And then he said this, I love these five words. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. Guys, can I just say, that's the... Um, That's the largest gift and experientially of anything I've ever had like this, that's the largest gift. But I have heard, the, regardless of the gift, I have heard those five words from faithful followers of Jesus over and over and over again. When somebody says, I'm gonna choose to walk by faith and put God first and give him my best, I've always heard people come back and say, I am so glad I did. I've never had anybody come back and say, well, uh, God kind of hung me out to dry there. 
You know, I, I trusted God. I gave him my first and my best. We kind of lost our shirt. I've never heard that. I always heard, man, I'm so glad that I chose to walk by faith. Why? Because you are leaning into the power and presence of God when you do that. See, Abraham believed God for the impossible, which meant that his stomach likely felt uneasy and maybe a bit scared, but he trusted God with that. So can I just ask you today, does your current faith look anything at all like Abraham's and like our friends who uh, gave the gift of the downtown campus? Does that look anything at all like the way that you're following God? Or are you, are you asleep? Are you, are you coasting? Are you a little bit kind of closed off? Maybe a little bit tentative? Maybe you're kind of hedging. You're trying to, you're trying to control things that you cannot control. And we end up cutting off the promises of God that he wants to give to us. And so, um, man, I can remember when I first started following Jesus, when I was, I grew up in the church, but I had like kind of a reawakening at the age of 18. And that's when I really began to like follow Jesus. And I remember writing in my journal when I was 18 years old, this prayer to God. I said, God, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? And I got to tell you, the older I've got, the more tentative I've gotten at wanting to write that out. Because it just kind of seems like, you know, at the time I didn't have a whole lot to lose, but now I got a lot to lose. And so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of afraid to kind of write God kind of like a blank check with my life like that. And I end up cutting off the power of God in this new season of my life. So can I just say to you, if you feel like your spiritual life is stagnant, if you feel like you're not hearing from God, if you feel like God is eerily quiet, the answer isn't necessarily another Bible study or a book or an experience. The answer might be you need to begin walking by faith. And when you begin to walk by faith, you invite the power and the presence of God into your life. If you're playing it safe, there's no room for God to flex. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what that verse means. Okay, so, so, so how, how, do we, how do we know if we're, we're doing that? Well, I want to give you the next example in Hebrews chapter 11, and that is the example of a guy named Abel. And it gives us his story in verse 4. It says this. It was, there's these two little words, by faith, that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did, his, his brother. Abel's offering gave evidence, there's that word again, as it relates to faith. It gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Now, Abel's story is found in Genesis chapter 4. Many of you may know that Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's sons and that Cain killed his brother Abel. Maybe you know that part of the story. What you may not know is why. And in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 4, it tells us why. It says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. In other words, he was a rancher while Cain cultivated the ground. He was a gardener. He was a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, what's the word? Say it out loud with me. Some, right? That's key. Cain, it's not that Cain didn't give anything. It's just that he gave some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the, what's the word? Best. So those two words in contrast. Cain gave some, Abel gave best. He gave the best portions of the, and here's this common word again, firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Actually, when you dig into the original languages, it's he could not accept it. 
And this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. And this is what prompted him to murder his brother. Now, here's a question. I don't know if any of you have ever pondered this. Maybe your small group is kind of, you know, this kind of got through out there one time, maybe when you were kind of studying this. Have you ever wondered why God didn't accept Cain's gift? You know, was it because Abel was a rancher and Cain was a farmer and God prefers meat over vegetables, which is true, but that's not why, right? <laughs> is, is that the reason? Is that the reason why? Now, the key to understanding why is found in the word first from verse four. And that's not random. Actually, that is pointing to a principle. There is a principle that is woven all through the scriptures and the principle is the first and the best. And with that principle, there's a lot of promises attached to it. So let me give you the principle and then I'll unpack it. Here's a principle uh, that you can write down. When you put God first in your life, he puts everything else in order. When you put God first in your life, you give him the best, you give it to him first. It is an opportunity for him to bless the rest and he puts everything else in order. Now, please don't misunderstand the principle. I did not say when you give God first and best, he gives you everything you want and he makes your life trouble free. That's not the principle. The principle is that when you put, give, put God first and best, he puts everything else in order and he blesses it. So here's the idea. Jesus said that um, we would all go through trouble in this life. That is true for the redeemed and the unredeemed. But would you rather go through trouble in this life with your life in order and the hand of God's blessing upon it or without? The answer is without, or the answer is with God's blessing. So here's, uh, here, it's the third service. Come on, man. All right, so, 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 so this is the idea of if you are uh, like in a storm, like out in the middle of the ocean, here's another way to look at it. Do you wanna be in an inflatable dinghy that's leaking or do you wanna be in a cruise liner that's stable? And this is the idea that when you put God first and best in your life, you invite him in and he puts everything in order and he blesses the best. Uh, um, and so uh, we see this principle woven all through scripture. We could go Exodus 13, one to two. Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals. It belongs to me. Chapter 23, verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord, your God. And when you do this, here's the promise that's attached to it. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Guys, that's actually a promise of the principle. And this type of trust is at the very heart of the gospel message. It's found in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? He gave his first and his best in the person of Jesus, which is why Jesus is referred to as the firstborn. It's why Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of creation. Romans 5 doesn't say that, you know, God waited for us to get our act together and then he gave the first and best. No, God gave the first and best so that we could be redeemed out of our sin. And so when we return that to God, that's simply a response of the gospel message. Exodus 13 doesn't say, hey, if you're a rancher, wait until you have all your livestock. And then the one that only has three legs and walks around with a limp who keeps really annoying you because he keeps pooping on your front porch, go ahead and return that one to God. No, it actually says, pick the best out of your livestock and return that to God first. Why? Because it takes faith to give the first and God wants you to walk by faith. 
Now here's, so, so the uh, shorthand word for first and best in the Bible is the word tithe. And oftentimes we think that tithe is like, that's a tenth of everything back to God. Oftentimes we think that's the finish line, that that's what we're working up to. When actually in reality, that's the starting line. That's actually where God wants you to start and then progress forward from there. So I'll never forget this. When I was in college, I did an internship at a church in Los Angeles and I stayed with um, one of the elders and his wife. They were in their late 50s, early 60s at the time. They didn't have any uh, children or any, at home or anything like that. It was just the two of them. And so every night, like I would have dinner with them. And he was the um, uh, quality manager at Dryer's Ice Cream, which was glorious because he brought home Rocky Road like every night. It was amazing. And then his wife, Betty, she like oversaw all of the nurses at Kaiser Permanente in the Los Angeles area. So they, they had done very well for themselves. And I'll never forget like sitting down at the table with them and they were just kind of telling me their story. And they said, you know, Aaron, when we first got married, we didn't have a whole lot. And we just decided to trust God with our first and our best, which means that we started at 10%. Like we didn't work our way up to that. We just started there. And then we just saw how God was faithful that first year. So we said, you know what, uh, why not, why, why get stagnant there, why not continue to walk by faith and just like go on another faith journey with God? So they just said, let's just add a percent. So the next year they did 11 and they're like, let's just add another percent after that. And they did 12. And they, they said, we've done that uh, for the last like 35 years of our marriage. And at the time, as I'm sitting at the table with them, they, they said, we're, right now we're, we've worked our way up to about 48% of our income that we give away. To, we can't outgive God. This is this idea of trusting God with first and best. And so if you've sort of like, some of us are just treating the tithe legalistically and you've been there for years. What if God is urging you to take another step of faith? Because like, you don't even miss it. Some of you aren't even trusting God with that at all. And God's asking you to take a step of, of, of trust in him. See, this is what Abel did. Abel brought his first and his best. Cain brought what was left over. So in today's vernacular, here's what that looks like. Cain gets paid and then he pays the rent or the mortgage, which is usually the biggest expense for us out of the month. Then he paid the utility bill. Then he likely made the lease payment on that high mileage camel. Then he got a little bit of groceries. He made the credit card payments. Then after shopping at Cabela's and Amazon Prime, he gave God some of what was left over. And that's what God couldn't accept. And that's where you get to go, well, you know, this is why God is after not our resources, but our heart. Because if God was just after our resources, why not accept some? It's better than none. But here it says that God couldn't accept it. That's actually, that actually has everything to do with what theologians call the very identity and character of God. Here, here's what I mean. F follow me in this. The reason why God couldn't accept Cain's offering is because of his very identity and character. So um, uh, what this means is that God can do anything that doesn't violate his character. So God cannot lie. God cannot change. Theologians refer to this as the immutability of God. So uh, God cannot get any better because he's already best. You will never find God shopping at Barnes and Noble in the self-help section. Like he's not looking to self-improve because he's already best. Uh, the second is that God does, uh, we, we can't think like God thinks. God would say it this way. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. Uh, theologians call that the omniscience of God. So omni means all, science in Latin means knowledge. So all knowledge. So God already knows what has, what is, or what will ever happen at the exact same 
time. Don't think about that too long because if you do, you'll flip a breaker. <laughs> so this is this idea that like there has been, like God has never had a brand new thought. Think about that for a minute. Like you will never like talk to God and God will be like, you know what? The other day I was thinking and this thought popped into my mind that just totally blew me away. And I thought, oh myself. Like, like, he, like he never, you'll never have that conversation with God. Here, here's the third is that God cannot be second. Theologians call that the preeminence of God. So what that means is that he is first of all, above all and before all things. So Cain did not put him first. That's why God couldn't accept it. Now listen, just because you may not be putting him first in your life doesn't mean that he isn't first in the universe. Your order doesn't change his order. He is preeminent. So bringing our first and best back to God is the way that we put him first. Think about it. Um, Statistically speaking, that money and finances are usually in the top three of the things that we worry and stress about the most. I'd ask you to raise your hand if that's true for you, but I know a bunch of the hands will go up around the room. And why do you think that is? And I think part of the reason is because we've excluded God from that area of our lives because we're not walking by faith. We're not giving him first and best because when we do, we're inviting him in to put everything else in order and bless the rest. Now we see how big of a deal this is to God um, in the book of Malachi. Malachi is a prophet saying some very uh, difficult things to hear. And Malachi says this in chapter one, verse nine. He says, go ahead, beg to God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering. What is that kind of offering? Well, that means the leftovers. That means the lame. That means some. He goes, when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 12, but you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say, well, it's too hard to serve the Lord. In other words, I don't have enough faith to do this. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it, animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat, the ow, the cheat, who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. Translation, they were showing up to God's table with expired Chinese leftovers. And God is dishonored by this. And God is trying to wake them up to it. So here's the question today. How do you know or how can you get awakened to God? Here's the question. In my heart, is God first? And if you answer that question like, yes, I want God to be first, but I still haven't taken a step of faith. I still am not offering him my first and my best. Then you might think that he's first in your hearts, but until he's first in your resources, he's not first. And some of us would say, you know what? I just can't afford to do this right now. And I would very lovingly say, you can't afford not to. Because when you put God first in this area of your life, he puts everything else in order and he blesses the rest. And that is not TV preacher health and wealth stuff. Guys, I am just reading you the Bible and the principle that is woven all through the scriptures. Let me give you a quote from Jesus himself in Luke chapter six, verse 38. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you, Isaac. He says, your gift will return to you. How? In full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get 
back. That's not TV preacher stuff. That's Jesus saying that. He's like, when you trust me with this, you're inviting me in. And watch, guys, I don't want to leave you hung out to dry. I actually want to take you on a faith journey that will, I, I want to be invited into the rest of these areas of your life. And I can, I can only be blessed when you invite me in. Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for who? That was like maybe the, you know, this is for you guys. I will open the windows of heaven for you. There we go. You showed up. All right. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Now, notice these two little words. Try it. Try it. Put me to the test. The only time in recorded scriptures God talks trash. <laughs> Most of the time he forbids us to test him. Here he actually says, test me. Why? Because we are actually, um, uh, we, we are actually asleep to the voice of God and we aren't living that kind of full life that he's intended for us to live. Actually, we're, we're, we're missing out on so much that our heavenly father wants us to have and to experience it. And guys, I know the theology around this and I know all the Bible passages, but this honestly didn't come like really like ring true for me until I had kids. And just as a dad, man, like I, I don't want to withhold anything from them. I, I actually want to bless their socks off, but I don't want to do that at the expense of hardening their heart. So my 11-year-old daughter, Cadence, uh, every Monday when I pick her up from school, uh, she kind of sheepishly looks at me and I can tell she wants to ask me something. She just doesn't really want to ask it, but I make her ask it anyway. And she just kind of looks at me and she's like, you know, daddy, you know, it's, it, it's Monday. Uh, can I get a treat and go through Starbucks? Like she uses Monday as her excuse that she needs a treat. I love it so much, right? And I'm always like, oh, you know, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, go through, we'll go through Starbucks. You know, you need your Monday treat. And so we pull up and I'm like, hey, you know, what, did it, what, is it, what do you want? And she'll usually order like some sort of like caramel crunch frozen latte thing. And, uh, and so, you know, I'll order that. And, uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't want like, you know, a whole one of those, but, but I might, you know, like have like a little sip. You know, and so I go get her the latte and I'll just kind of look, hey, 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 sweetie, you know, could I, could I have a sip? And if her response was to be, no, this is mine, then that may be the last caramel frappuccino <laughs> latte thing. Like she ever, like Monday, you know, uh, treat days are over. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're, they're done, right? Be why? Be uh, because like, I, I see that, that, that the gift hasn't changed her heart, that she actually has put her trust in what she has right in front of you rather than the giver of gifts. Because what she fails to realize is that guys, I don't want to brag, but I have enough in my bank account to buy a lot of lattes. Like I could, I could like, she could be, she could be swimming in caramel crunch frappuccino lattes because I have the capability of giving that to her. But if she's not willing to be open-handed with the gift, then that'll cut off the blessing. Guys, that's true in our relationship with God as well. So here's what I just wanna ask you to do. I just wanna ask you to be awakened to the principle of first and best in your life. That's how you walk by faith. And if your faith has been coasting, if you've been spiritually sleepwalking, if you don't feel the power in the presence of God, it could be because God, you, you've, you've not invited his power and presence into your life because what enacts it is when you take a step by faith. So can I just ask you today, if you're willing to do that. Father, we come to you right now and I just uh, ask that you'd be honored by our gifts and by our worship and by our very lives. And some of us have fallen asleep. We, we are not walking by the kind of faith in which you desire to 
flex in our lives by presenting more of your power and presence. And God, I know right now that I'm speaking to a lot of people that are maybe in pain, that are maybe have real significant needs. And God, right now, I just pray that you'd become so real and alive in their lives that it would just be undeniable and that we would be willing to take a step of faith. So right now, we just want to identify what that might mean. Well, what would it mean for us today, God, to say to you, God, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Because we want to have that kind of faith. We want to be that awakened to what it is that you want to do in us and through us to a hurting world. And we trust you. God, we trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.